Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us on our 120th episode of the podcast. We're going to get a chance to talk to Daniel Collins. Coach Collins is the head coach at Paul D. Camp Community College. He has also had time. This is his fourth year. His fourth year coming up, uh, three out of the four years that he has been the head coach, his team has received some preseason national poll rankings, uh, which is awesome. Um, last year, just last year, he had the highest GPA in program history, which is something he was really proud of, um, and he should be. It's not an easy thing to do. He has also been the assistant coach and recruiting coordinator at Brian Stratton, where he had players signed with the Orioles. He's been a uh, Atlanta Braves and Cincinnati Red Scout, as long as spent some assistant coach time at George Mason, where he got the chance to coach with big leaguer Chris O'Grady, assistant coach at Randolph-Macon, as well as George Washington, where he had multiple draft picks, had, a high, had an All-American shortstop, uh, as well as spent some time in the, in the Valley League. Uh, guys in the mid, mid, Mid-Atlantic understand the Valley League and what it is. It's a great college wooden bat league, and where he worked with the New Market Rebels. A great thing we got to know throughout the conversation was that his last three full-time assistant coaches are now head JUCO coaches. Uh, he also had a guy that's also been a, a recruiting coordinator for a Florida JUCO, so he's continued to develop not only his players but also his coaches, and his coaches are going on to have great jobs. So I thought that was pretty telling of the kind of system and program that he's building there at camp. Uh, but Coach, Coach Rollins ends up, just uh, diving into all things program, like especially as a JUCO, you just need to be able to wear a lot of hats, and he discusses all this that. So like we get a chance to talk development, talk fundraising, talk how he's trying to help build a team and the chemistry that happens every year. The it's the major turnaround that happens in JUCO. So just the di- from the different challenges comes direct opportunity, so he discusses a lot of these things and the challenges and recruiting, uh, not only him recruiting players, but also him helping his players go on. So just a lot of a full-depth conversation. Hope that you enjoy it. And just like I really enjoy uh, and really thankful for our sponsors, Netting Pros. The guys at Netting Pros are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specialize in design, fabrication, installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting professionals continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all the latest products and projects. And here he is, head coach at Paul D. Camp Community College, Daniel Rollins. I think you come to appreciate, um, you appreciate each one for what it taught you. Um, because all of those things, good and bad, because there were, there were good stops on that train and there were bad stops on that train, you know, and, um, 
but you learn to appreciate each of them because those are the things that help you be hopefully a good leader. And I'm not saying I'm a great leader. I'm still trying to learn, but that's what I've taken away to try and develop and and appreciate what I have now, Um, which there's some days I have to be reminded of that. Um, And others, uh, I, I, you know, it's easy to remember um, what I've had in the past and what I have now, but it's definitely one of those things that, you take something, you definitely take something from each stop and put it into what you're doing now. Again, could be something you don't want to do, um, which I, like I said, have a few of those. And then there's a lot of things that I take from other coaches and other schools that I've been at that I, I do today and, and use today. Um, it was funny. I was, we were doing some team defense work today at practice and our catcher is a transfer from George Mason and while I never coached him, obviously he um, he was there last year, and I haven't been to George Mason in ten years. Um, but I said, "Hey, I didn't. I meant to ask you. Do y'all run the same first and third play that we run here?" I said, "Because this is what we did when we were at Mason." He was like, "Yeah, coach. Same exact play. I, I knew what we were doing from the very beginning when you first started talking about it." And I always thought that was funny, um, you know. And that was something that was a conversation I literally had today with our catcher. Um, and that's something that I took away from 10 years ago that I did, um, that I implement in my, in my team stuff today. So you always try and pick and choose things that are going to benefit you in the future. And, and so I try and do that with what I do now. I'm sure like, even just like with like the, like, I'm not sure the challenge of your staff, you know, the staff that you have at Juco with the guys you can have there consistently, you know, like the experience that you have. Like, how has that experience kind of being in the, and like you said, seeing all the different coaches has helped you kind of in this role with Juco and kind of the challenges of just all the, the consistent staff that you need? Yeah. You know, consistency on my coaching staff has not been something that's uh, been easy to, to obtain. And, and not because it, not because I haven't had good coaches. I have, I've had really good coaches. Um, but when you have really good coaches, they, they move on pretty quickly. And uh, I've been very blessed. I mean, my last three times, my last full three times, uh, three full-time assistants. Now I can actually talk um, are all now two of them are head Juco coaches. Um, one of them's at Fayetteville tech community college. The other one's at Kahoma community college in Mississippi those are my last two hitting coaches. Um, and then my last pitching coach before the one I have right now um, is now the recruiting coordinator and pitching coach at the College of Central Florida. And they're top five JUCO in the entire country in Division One JUCO. Um, so to have those guys move on is something to be proud of. And I think the key with that and the key that I learned from the head coaches I worked for and even played under, um, if, if you're going to have a good staff that, that – gets results they have to put their players first and so anybody that works for me I ask them to put our players first if you do that your career is going to take care of itself I truly believe that and all those guys who have worked for me so far are living examples of that all three of those guys put our players first every single day and their careers have taken care of itself so far. And so, you know, I'm fortunate. I've got two really young assistants right now, but they're both really good and they work hard and they put our kids first and they trust in that process. And I think um, that's, that's a really important thing to have along the way. And I think that's the perspective I try and give them um, because I've always said, if I ever lose the perspective of putting our kids first, 
if I ever put my desires, my wants first, then I need to find something else to do. Um, and uh, I, I try and get our assistants to buy into the same idea. How do you how do you do that? Or like as you're, you know, kind of like what we talked about earlier, I was like, you found people to do like, how are you how do you how do you do that? How do you get them to buy into that player first or you find them that they're going to be that guy that does that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. Some of it's a little bit of luck, sure. uh, you know, but I think I think you one, the, the guys tend to trust my background. And again, I haven't done anything crazy. I've been fortunate to be in the right place at the right time a couple of times. Um, that's about it. Um, but they trust me. And and so I can't well, I can't I don't know what that next job is going to be for them. I don't know um, where they're going to head, but I know that I'll take care of them as much as I can. I think if you if they can trust you, if they know that you're going to take care of them any way you can um, down the road, they're going to take care of their business while they're with you. And so I think from the you just have to set that that expectation early on that they know that you're there for them and you're going to take care of them just like you do your players. And, um, you know, but part of that's the vetting process. Part of that's understanding who you're bringing in, but that's, but it's also even when you don't may not know everything about a coach that's coming in on your staff, if you can set the expectation and set the um, goals of, Hey, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to care about you. I need you to put our players first and I need you to care about them. Um, and everything's going to take care of itself. And if they can trust it, which isn't easy, but if they trust it, it it's it's worked out so far. I'm not, you know, I, I hope it continues that way at least too. Sure, absolutely. I'm just thinking about like, like what are some like scenarios? Let's say where that you're coaching against somebody, and you can tell, or you just know that how they're that they're not putting their players first. Like, can you can you give me an example like of like like what you might do? that shows that wow um I, I think the biggest thing is you gotta tell your guys you gotta tell your guys you love them tell them you care about them but then try and show it um try and reward them um in a way that that shows it now that doesn't mean you can't get into their rear ends when they need it um probably allows but, you to do it it probably allows, yeah. allows you to do it more yeah i mean i'll say this my guys know if i'm yelling and screaming they probably screwed something up big time um, because I'm, I, I'm just not a big yelling or screamer and, and not that you can't get, a, get through that way. There are coaches that, that have their own processes for how they try and get through their guys, but you know, not to say my way is any better than somebody else's. Cause I, I'm just not one of those guys. There's a million different ways in this game to have success. Um, but I, tr I believe you got to, show these guys you care about them um, and you care about them on a personal level. You know, early this year, um, the guys thought there was a little bit of a disconnect with me. They thought maybe I hadn't really put myself out there as much to them. So we got to the point that every day in practice when guys are stretching, I'll walk through the stretching line and somebody will have a question for me. Somebody will ask me a personal question, you know, hey, coach, what are your thoughts on this? Or what was your favorite you know, ice cream, what's your favorite, whatever, and stuff like that. And, and it just, it, it creates a more personal relationship, you know, and I also try and meet with our guys. Um, but I think on the field, I see some guys who it, they'll demean their players. They'll just, they'll beat them up in front of the rest of the team and their coaching staff and stuff. And 
I don't believe in doing it that way. I don't think you're going to get the most out of the kids these days doing it that way. I think the there's a huge dynamic shift in what players are willing to tolerate and handle um, these days. And, you know, it's just it's a little bit different. Um, and I think you also have to the, the biggest way you have to do this is you have to understand each individual player, which is not easy to do. And I can't say I'm perfect at this because I know I'm not. But you try and you got to try and figure out what what makes these guys tick individually, because one what works for one guy may not work for another as far as how you try and motivate them and get through to them. Some guys may perform better when you get into their rear ends. Some guys will shut down and they'll completely suck if if you yell and scream at them, you know. And and so it's a matter of figuring out what's going to work best for that individual kid along with your entire program. Something. Yeah, that's great. Oh, that's just great. I mean, I, so is this something like as you've picked up like, throughout this throughout the different steps? Is there somebody like man, this is this the example, or just kind of maybe throughout the ABCA and like your professional development? It's like your camps and like things that you've done. Like, where has this philosophy and how you kind of go about your business kind of came from? Yeah, uh, there is. There's a couple of guys. One, you know couple guys that I can can definitely name one of them being Lucas Jones who's now the head coach at um, Lynchburg College he was a huge impact made a huge impact on my career he gave me my first opportunity to coach out in the valley in Newmarket Virginia and then um, you know and I learned a lot from him I still learn a lot from him he doesn't realize how much he still teaches me even though we don't talk quite as much um, but uh you know, I've I've tried to take a lot away from a lot away from how he did things and things we would talk about and how he would correct things that I might not do the best way um, early in my career. And uh, but we also worked together at, at George Mason University um, for two years, which I owe him a big uh, pat on the back for helping me get that job. Um, probably don't get that job without him. And uh, the time we spent together was huge. Um the I would say the other one, the probably the biggest impact when it comes to how I do things and um, who I am today, even is is my former college head coach um, Ray Hedrick at Randolph Macon College. Um, you know, he and I did not get along real well my freshman year of college. If you had told me he and I were going to be as close as we are today after my freshman year, I'd have bet every dime I've ever made against it. Um, but I think we both grew up a little bit. I know I grew up a lot a bit um, and we both made some changes and I learned a lot from him. I continue to learn a lot from him. He's a, he's a great person. He cares tremendously about his players and he has found that he, he was the first one in my mind to really strike that balance of trying to be that coach that was demanding, asked a lot of his players but at the end of the day, those players knew that he cared about them. And, uh, you know, so that was something that I've learned a lot from him um, and still learn a lot. I mean, we talk all the time and, uh, you know, but I owe that guy a huge debt of gratitude because of what I learned from him. So, And you saw in the way that he interacted with players, you know, like you said, you kind of, I guess kind of making that change and, um, I guess kind of so almost kind of seeing from your, um, I can kind of see it from your eyes, like how you much, you got better as a player, understanding how to better relationship with your coach. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think part of it also, like I said, I I got to see, you know, I I was a part of his first recruiting class at Randolph-Macon. And I'll be honest, I wasn't very good. I wasn't nearly as good as I thought I was. Um, But I, I, I watched him grow, too. I watched him grow and change as a coach. And I think what it told me over time from when I when I played for him and when I worked for him, I worked for him two separate times. Um, when I played and when I worked for him, I, I saw the growth as a coach and a person. Um, and uh, that was huge. I think I was able to take that kind of stuff away and, and know that you can always grow. You can always find ways to do it better. Um, you're not going to be perfect. I don't care how long you do this. Um, and so you've, you've got to try and find ways to, uh, continue to get a little bit better and hopefully make a positive impact on the players in your program. Cause that's what matters at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. I was just curious. So I just, like I said, I'm just, you're just curious. You just had to find things like sometimes they're just defining moments too. Sometimes it's defining moment. Is it like you were struggling or like this mentors, like, you know, just kind of figuring out where it is. Like, it's just, just kind of curious and kind of where that kind of stems off from it. So um, you just seem to have some, you know, and, and what a great part of the journey is just kind of having those mentors and kind of seeing that, you know, all throughout your, your journey. Yeah. Really cool. No, I mean, I've been fortunate and, and something I, and, and Ray has actually told, you know, some of my stories that occurred with him my freshman year, you know, he, he would tell you I was there were times where I was kind of a guinea pig um, as a player with him as far as how he handles some situations. And he'll tell you he didn't always handle them the right way, but I think he learned from them. And that was a part, again, me growing and him growing mm-hmm. um, younger head coach and me as a young, you know, 18, 19 year old kid not having a clue what's going on in the, in the whole wide world, you know, and um, I think you walk away from those situations and um, some of them good, some of them bad, some of them indifferent. But if you walk away and try and take something positive at the end of the day or even later on in life, then, hey, it was worth going through it. Sure. Cool. Just like um, switching gears here and like, because I I really want to get back to like uh, what we talked about uh, earlier is like, just the challenges of Juco, you know, yep. and like you said, you got your first taste of Brian Stratton and then kind of now where you are, we kind of touched base out with a little bit like with the staffing of it, um, which seemed like you've been pretty fortunate with your staff I mean, being able to get guys in there, but um, you know, and, and, and how you're doing it, which is great. But like just talking a little bit about the challenges, uh, like you said, you just went from division two, now division three Juco uh, considered one of the you know national guy, national top ranked schools, but like the challenges of Juco, the benefits of Juco uh, you got at Brian Stratton. And then how much was it like as you became the guy at camp? Yeah. So, um, you know, what was interesting was I wanted this job when the program was first created a little more close to seven years ago, this will be the program's sixth full year on the field. Mine, it'll be my fourth year on the field as the head baseball coach here. Um, and I wanted the job the first time because I wanted the chance to, to start a brand new program. Um, I wanted to have that opportunity. And, you know, for whatever, for, for various reasons, you know, I was a finalist, but didn't get it. And, uh, but I knew that if it came back open, I wanted to go back after it again. And the second time was, was kind of the charm. 
so I know there were some kinks worked out before I even got here because of, you know, what I knew of the program and the, the, the head coach that started the program. But I think JUCO, you know, obviously money is a huge challenge, um, you know, it, because in Virginia, they because the Virginia community college system was never set up whatsoever to support athletics. It's why it took so long for us to get baseball and so many other sports started in the state. Um, There's very little support financially from the, you know, from the legislators to, you know, the state level to the, the community college system, because there's just, we're not, we're not technically supposed to use any of the funding from the state or the government for athletics. And so we have to raise a lot of money. And when I got the job here, we had very few things um, to work with. I mean, we had like 40 BP balls, a set of ladders and, you know, a few other things. Um, but I knew we had a lot of work to do to get us to the, where, the place I wanted technology wise, resource wise, and to be able to provide our players with the best. And so we had to go to work raising money. And so we've raised a boatload of money. I mean, I say a boatload. I feel like, I mean, I feel like a boatload. Um, we've spent a boatload of money on things, um, whether it be Synergy, which is a video system, whether it be hitting and pitching Rapsodo, whether it be, um, you know, water bags and all the plyo care stuff and everything I, you can think of, we've spent money on. Um, but it's because, if especially if I'm not going to have scholarship money to give out, you know, the way I explain it, you know, we picked up an arm from JMU this this winter and the dad asked for scholarship money. And I flat out told him, we don't have anything to give your son. I said, but that thousand bucks that you wish I could give your son in scholarship money, I promise you I'm spending in other areas to give your son the best opportunity to continue developing and becoming the best player possible. So he can hopefully earn scholarship money from another four year school down the road. Mm hmm. And I think that's the way we have to sell it in our program because of lack of scholarships. Um, but the financials plays a big role. I think one of the head coaches at a four-year school locally kind of said it best. If you can coach junior college baseball, you can coach, be a head coach at any level because you have to wear so many hats. I have to fund these. I have to, I'm all of our guys academic advisor. Um, so I handle their class schedules and making sure they're on track to graduate. I run all their study halls and grade checks and all that. Um, you know, I have to put together our schedule, make sure we have all the, the buses and food and all that stuff. I have to make sure I have to do basically every single job on top of anything else. The school throws at me and says, hey, we need help with this. Um, and so it's just a lot. You wear a lot of different hats at the junior college level, um, which is fine. I love the the opportunity and the grind of it. Most days, there's days where I get you know frustrated, but um, it's just there's a lot of different hats you have to wear, and so you have to learn and have to be able to handle a lot of juggle a lot of things at one time. What do you think prepared you? Like how you how are you prepared to t- to take all that on <sighs> for like managing like scheduling the bus to pick <laughs> us up here, drop us off there and bring us back. Yeah. Um, you know, the best is when the bus calls you the, you know, on Thursday afternoon at, at six o'clock and tells you that the bus for Friday afternoon at two ain't coming. Um, Cause I've had to deal with that a few times. Mm. Um, I think it's, 
one being taught to try and be as organized as possible in this business. I mean, if you look at my desk right now, you would not think I'm organized. Um, but I know where just about everything is. And I think you just, again, you take up, you take tidbits from different places and you, you understand, okay, this is how I need to set my schedule up for next year. And this is when I'm going to start making calls to get that schedule done. You know, okay, we need to set our hotels up. You know, I'm going to call this hotel, this hotel and get, you know, bids. Um, and I think you just kind of have a process to, to go through, but again, I mean, I'm going to set all that up and do it, you know, based on how I learned how to do it from other coaches um, who had to do maybe one of those jobs at one school, whereas I'm doing all of them, um, you know, and, and that's okay. Again, it's part of the, part of the gig and I get it, but I think staying organized is the biggest key to all of it. Um, and knowing that you're not going to be perfect. You got to make the best of certain situations. And again, I care about our players, so I know that staying in decent hotels and feeding them well and making sure we're traveling on buses instead of vans, like that's what pushes me to, to make sure we fundraise enough and make sure that we, you know, take care of our guys. I mean, I don't want to stay in a crappy hotel either, but they sure, I know they don't, and I don't want that experience for them. Yeah, I like that. Players first means good hotels, buses, not vans. That's a big thing, you know, and good meals. Absolutely. I think we have hit up every top barbecue joint in the state of North Carolina in the past four years. Um, if there's if there's any left, we will find them in the next couple of years as we continue to travel down there for conference play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's good. So, like – um. Man, you you've you've taught you've touched base about some transfer stuff. Like, um, like how is important for you to like how important is relationships to you? And like even man, this is a couple things, man. We can go crazy with this because I'm even thinking relationships of a player. Because like, you know, like even the I think good advice for players, whether they're gonna commit somewhere or not, is to keep a relationship open. You know, because like you just said, hey, this didn't work at James Madison. It's just for whatever reason. You know, just don't work at George Mason. Just life happens to keep that relationship open, man. Like how how much of that? Because like because you're because you you are also advising kids about how to move on, yeah, and how to handle all that. So I mean, you said the word relationships, and you know that's that's the key to all this. Um, that's the you know I tell these guys in the recruiting process they're not just signing a two year contract with me or a year long contract with me they get me for life and they can use me as much or as little as they want to um you know and some guys choose to use me more than others but again I think it's trying them to know that you're trying and that you do care um whether that's your number one arm or or starting catcher or whatever the case may be or whether or not it's, or whether it's your, you know, 20th guy off the bench, they have to know you care and you have to know, they have to know that, um, you know, you, you have the best interest of their future in mind. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not easy. Um, you have kids that blow you off out of high school sometimes, and then guess what? They need a place to go in, in two years. And so again, I'm a big believer. I'm a firm believer of, 
if the kids do it the right way the first time in the recruiting process, I will do anything and everything to help them. Okay. And if that's that, and that's regardless of them coming and playing for me, because at the end of the day, I'm in this business for them. Okay. I'd love for every kid that sits on our couch to be, to be a, a hurricane. Um, but that's not re that's not reasonable. It's just not going to happen that way. And so when they choose to go somewhere else, provided they do it the right way and handle the situation, I want to help them. And, um, you know, so we try and keep that relationship. I try and keep that open line of communication. At the end of the day, I want really good people in our program. If you have really good people that buy in and work really hard, the wins and losses are eventually going to take care of themselves because those players are going to commit to development. And, um, but if you develop a relationship and you keep tabs on them and they ever need that, that they ever have to pick up the phone and need your help, I'm going to try and be there for them. Yeah, I just think it's, it's, it is, it's so valuable to, and then can you speak also, can you speak on to like, what do you advise your players as they go through the recruiting process trying to get in? Because it has not been easy for any JUCOs in the past couple of years with this COVID and everybody's getting out there and say, I'm sure your rosters gets older and older and it's been older. Like, so how are you advising them about that relationship piece with everybody that they're coming into contact with? Yeah, it, it's, it's not been easy. I mean, you know, now I do think it's been probably a little easier for us than, than high school kids the last couple of years. Um, but our guys, it, it's been a struggle, especially when, like you said, you know, we're not having a graduating class of 15, 12, 10 to 15, like a four-year school. We're graduating, you know, 20, 25, maybe 30 kids that want to play at the next level. And that's, that's a lot. I think it's trying to get them to be realistic about their options, realistic about being able to look in the mirror and say, okay, this is what kind of player I am. This is probably what I'm capable of. This is the education I want to have. You know, I had a player in my office today, legitimately today, um, come in and we were talking about some stuff with him moving on after this year. And, he said, well, you know, I'd be willing to, you know, I really want to do criminal justice, but if I could play baseball, I'd do that. I'd, I'd be willing to go somewhere that doesn't have it. I said, no, <laughs> that's not how this works. I said, you and I both know there's not a 10 year big league career in your future and that's okay. I said, but there could be a 10 year career in the FBI if that's what you really want to do. I said, so, you know, you need to focus on finding schools that have that degree come up with a list that have that degree that have baseball and we'll sit down and talk about the schools on that list and whether or not baseball is realistic at those places. And, you know, I think after that meeting, he kind of, it kind of clicked with them. Hey, the education is going to be really important. And, yeah. and it is, and um, I think it's about finding that right fit, you know, and I think it's about with, and I think with transfers, especially, Dude, those kids are wounded ducks when they get to me. They've gone through getting cut once or twice at other schools. They've gone through a tough time where maybe a coach made a bunch of promises and, and they didn't follow through. And so you got to love on that kid a little bit and help him understand that, yeah, I don't, you know, we got a kid from High Point right now. You know, I told him straight up, I said, you're going to have to earn what you get this year. I said, because our outfield is stacked. I know you're a D1 transfer and that's great. I can't promise you you're going to come in and play right now. And he said, coach, 
I, I want to earn what I get. I don't care what I have to do. And I said, okay. I said, but I think the reason we got that kid was because he trusts me to do everything I can to help him in the future. And he mm-hmm. bought it. And he knows at the end of the day, I'm going to push for whatever's going to be best for him. And I'm going to help give him the best advice I can. I mean, one thing that is helpful with my background, um, our relationships and connections I have to other four-year schools, but also the ability to evaluate talent. I mean, that's what I've been paid to do in my career over time is to evaluate what talent can do and where they might be able to go. So when I pick up the phone and call certain people about guys, you know, I'm not saying they listen all the time because they don't, I can name some guys right here that would be going to hear the name, their names mentioned, but they <laughs> listen a little bit and they tend to, and I, I know the deal. If I, if I sell them a loaded bag of goods that don't, don't back it up, then I'm never sending another kid there again. So yeah. I've got to be smart about how I handle those situations on the flip side of it. Absolutely. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, oh man. Like, and so in, in part of what have you found out? So like you, you knew you wanted this related to, you wanted the camp job to really start a brand new program. Right. So then you didn't get that, but like, there had to be other things of like, you must, you must believe in Juco, like in Juco baseball and like the, the purpose that it does. And so what do you feel is like, the purpose and like your, the, your reason that you loved Juco baseball. Yeah. I mean, and let me, I'll backtrack a little bit to say that part of the reason I wanted to come here was I love the town, the schools in, I think it's a cool little town. It reminds me of where I grew up. Um, there's a lot of very supportive people in, in Franklin, Virginia. Um, and, uh, very thankful for that. Um, my wife is a tenured professor at Christopher Newport University. I've got a six-year-old daughter um, in the first grade. I don't bouncing around job to job and school to school nowadays in my where my life is at isn't something that's extremely doable. And so finding somewhere where I felt like I could settle down and really pursue something special, um, you know, was important to me. And I felt like camp community college could provide that to me. And that's why I wanted it the first time. And, you know, definitely still went after the second time, but I think, um, you know, when, when looking at why I, why I thought we could be, why I thought this would be special or why I thought, you know, why I thought Juco was such a good opportunity was the, the difference you can make in some of these kids' lives um, is is really powerful. It's really great. And I'm not saying you can't do that at the four-year level because you absolutely can, but you do. You get some kids who really need your help um, and, and need some guidance and need um, to be shown the right path. And, again, I'm not perfect. There's things I screw up all the time. But – I try really hard because I do care. I care about these guys and it is, it's rewarding, man. It's, it's, you know, we took a kid who was from Jacksonville, Florida, throwing 81 miles an hour through strikes, but average breaking ball, average change up. 
you know, and now he's one of the highest scholarship pitchers at George Mason University, throwing 89 to 91, 92 with one of the best cutters I've ever coached. And that's special, man. That kid worked his tail off. I didn't do I didn't do anything. I didn't have any magic pixie dust to, to sprinkle on his arm and said, you're going to throw 90 miles an hour now. But I know that the tools, the resources, the things we provided that young man, the coaches that I was able to hire and put in that kid's life, that made a difference. And uh, that's rewarding seeing that at the end of the day. Um, and there's all sorts of stories like that, whether it doesn't have to be a kid who ends up at a, at a good division one program like George Mason it doesn't have to be that kid. It could be the kid who ends up getting a great four year degree and he struggled academically his first couple of years and you helped him get the right help he needed and understand how important relationships with professors are and how much, how important asking for help when you need it is, you know, stuff like that. I mean, we've got a young man right now who's probably going to start for me on opening day on Saturday. And his first semester, his grades were terrible. And we stayed on him and we stayed on him. He's had two semesters now of all A's and B's. And will probably graduate on the all-academic, all-region list this year. And I couldn't be prouder of that kid. Because, you know, he dug himself a huge hole, but he's dug himself out. And those are the types of stories that make me really proud of what we do on a regular basis. Yeah, that's great. It is. And I honestly, like, you've mentioned a couple of stories, too, about, like, you know, guys that have been beaten down a little bit, you know, and you got you see a little bit of the dog in them, you know, and you got to build them back up. And, like, but a lot of times, you know, that's you're helping build that story. Like, hey, like, a lot of times when we fail, like, this is how it's how we get back up. And this is what's important, you know. And, and um, you know, you, you, de- you definitely are. Um, you know, I mean, just just helping build guys up. It is it is such a very critical moment because, like, I've told guys, like, you know, I coached Juco was like, not gonna affect your rest. Of the, this could affect you for the next ten years of your life. You know, like whether good or bad, and kind of get you you'll get yourself out of here by your thirty. But like, this is gonna set you up. You know, one way or the other, where you just where you choose to go. Um, it is a, a, a extremely crucial time. You know, you're truly an adult. Some guys like you're like you're getting guys like first time on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some JUCOs aren't like that. Some JUCOs, you know, they're not they don't have uh, homes on campus, and just it's just not as there's more commuters than there is in anything. Um, but it's it's so crazy, man, because there's people in town that when they find out we've got kids from like 10, 12 different states, they're like. Where do they live? How does that happen? Where do you get these kids from? You know, I'm like, it's magic. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it's it's cool to see the reaction with that kind of stuff. And, you know, and and there's not, it, and sometimes the stories don't work out. I mean, sure. for instance, there's a kid I had to cut two years ago. Um, you know, it, it got to the point I was on the kid as much as I possibly could be. And he 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 refused to help himself. And when you get to the point that I've helped you to the nth degree, our coaching staff has helped you to the nth degree and you're not willing to help yourself. I've got to cut you loose because you need to grow up a little bit. And I cut that kid loose. He now recommends players to come play in our program because Mm -hmm. he's one of the best things that could have happened to him. That was one of the hardest decisions I've had to make as a coach is, is doing that. Um, but 
personally for that young man, it's worked out. I mean, it didn't work out in the in our program or him graduating a camp or that, but it's worked out for him as a human being. And I think that's that's what's most important with what we do. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like, so so it's all about here, man. Like, hundred. I mean, I'm, I'm on that train. I'm on that train because it's it's you're gonna be more of a human, more doing that than you are a baseball player. Oh. Oh heck yeah, maybe. So I, I, a couple of things just come to mind too, man. I just the still thoughts like because you mentioned about like um, the guy went from like eighty one to eighty nine, best you know, really good at Mason and this and that. It was like all the different tools you had put in from it. And you mentioned probably, I mean, you got synergy at camp, like that's wild. Um, you got you you got perhaps Soto. Um, my, so my thing is like, and you talk about raising a lot of money, like you gotta have some creative ways of making money. Like you gotta. <laughs> Like you can't be raising all this money. You're just doing car washes, you know, no. like you ain't doing the old, like you have to, like, there's gotta be like, there's gotta be some, some way you yeah. might've found your niche. Like I, 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 I can make some money. Well, in, you know, in full disclosure, I come from a, a mother who was a political consultant and raised campaign funds for many years. All uh, right. You know, unfortunately, she has since passed or I'd probably have her on my staff as our, our primary fundraiser. But no, we've you know, we have we've had to be very uh, creative. One thing we do is we work uh, football games. We we'll work William and Mary and UVA home football games. And for them, it, it's a phenomenal setup. They pay us to come in and take tickets, work as ushers, work security, work the you know, uh, mag strips and stuff and just make sure that everything's going smooth, getting into the stadiums and things. Um, we, we do a lot of our fundraising with those. Um, we lose some practice time and game time on the weekends, but because of how much time we get with our players to practice and play in the fall, it's, it's not too big a sacrifice. Um, plus it's easy money. The guys don't, you know, they, they don't love it. Nobody loves having to work doing anything. Um, but, uh, it's, it's easy and they, they do it and they do it without complaining a lot. I try and reward them like this year. I, I bought all their cleats this year, um, through what we had fundraised because I felt like they deserved it. We also do an online fundraiser, um, through online donations.us. Um, our guy Byron with them has been amazing. Um, if, if you don't do an online fundraiser, even if you do, reach out to Byron at onlinedonations.us, guys. I'm telling you, because that guy takes care of us. Um, they only take 10%. They take the lowest percentage of an online fundraiser I've ever worked with. Um, we make between 12 and 16K a year doing that. It's a 30-day campaign. Um, each player gets their own website, and we set an amount that each player is trying to raise, and most guys get to it. Um, we do a golf tournament every year. Um, I've gone out and, you know, met with Ruerton clubs and met with different people in the community. We've got a local bank that he happens to be an alum of Randolph Macon. And so since I became the head coach at camp, he's been a huge supporter. Um, and being the president of a local bank is a good guy to be buddies with. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, so it's just been one of those things that you can't be afraid to ask for money. Um, worst anybody can say is no. Um, but you got to we do. We have to be creative and we, you know, we go out and work for it. We don't ask for many handouts. That's for sure. 
Nice, nice. Yeah, I was just, you know, just curious. You know, there's always, there's a, that's part of learning as well. You know, just trying to find out. We all need to, you know, money helps, and you know, just finding get creative ways to do it. I'm just, you know, I'm just even thinking of like, are do well, part of so the online fundraise are all those typically like on your off season, like you're not really doing anything during the spring. Correct. You know, if if we make it to the World Series this year. We'll have a two-week span in between the basically what would be the Super Regional and the World Series that we would probably run a quick campaign to try and help us be able to pay to go to the series. Um, but, yeah, typically we're doing all that stuff in the fall. Our golf tournaments in the fall, our online fundraisers in the fall, all the football games are obviously in the fall. Sure. Uh, so we're trying to knock that stuff out so we can enjoy the season when we get there. Yeah, now I know I know that you do camps, um, you know, and things like that. But like yourself, but like, is camp part of what you do at camp at all? Like, will you guys host camp? Was that part of? So we've tended to do more hosting tournaments, you know, okay. Amic or Impact or you know other stuff, um, you know, which I I enjoy doing. It helps us recruiting, save money recruiting wise to bring some teams in, let them use our facility. Um, we do, you know, we've done a prospect showcase, that kind of stuff. We do a youth camp in the summer, um, you know, but all that's basically to be able to get my assistant coaches some extra money to get, you know, my players who are local or who may be staying in town over the summer, some extra money while they're living there, taking classes, you know, stuff like that. Not, not a ton of that's going to go back, um, back into the budget. Some of it does, but not a ton of it. Cause I want, you know, I want to be able to take care of my guys who are helping work those events. Yeah, that's great to hear. That's great to hear. I think that's awesome. I think it's just a real thrill. Appreciate that. You know, I just, I love that. You know, cause that's a real thing. You know, like I remember like even in the high school world, you ran some funders to kick your guys some money, you know, and that's just, it's just, you're trying to, you're trying to help your people out for sure. Yep. You take care of those that take care of you. 100%, man. 100%. So like, um, just thinking about where you guys are. So like, um, you guys got started with the, you guys like kind of where you're at now. So you got your fall, you got your winter. Um, uh, I'm just thinking about like, uh, strength coach. Like do you, do you wear that hat as well? So I don't personally, um, now somebody on our staff does both our hitting, our hitting and our pitching coach basically split that role. Our hitting coach runs our hitters lifts. Um, because we lift position specific with position guys and pitchers and, and even two ways. Um, so both my hitting coach takes the hitters, my, my pitching coach takes the pitcher POs and the two way guys and they lift in groups. And uh, mainly that's just because I live 45 minutes from campus. I do have a young daughter. I do have a wife that I, I enjoy getting to see. Um, so being there for all the lifts individually is difficult for me. Um, and I'm not as proficient in the weight room. I got hurt in a weight room accident that ended my playing career. So oh, wow. you know, I haven't been in, in the weight room a whole lot um, since those days. And so, um, but we've, we've been very, I've been very pleased. We've, we did not have, there was no weightlifting program when I took over. There was no weight room when I took over. Oh, wow. uh, we now are very, we've got a weight room that we've spent over seven or $8,000 at this point putting equipment into um and our weight program itself is spoken for itself i mean we've had guys who came in in august as freshmen that have put on 
12 to 15 pounds of muscle. Um, I'll never forget. I had a parent, I think it was last year, stopped me between games of the doubleheader as I was going to the office to write the lineup up. And she said, coach, I had to take all of John's shirts back that I bought him for Christmas because they didn't fit him. You know, he got so much stronger when, you know, during the fall. And I said, good, that's what's supposed to happen because the weight room is the single biggest difference maker between a high school student athlete and a college student athlete. So we have to be very proficient in the weight room. We have to be very aggressive um, and knowledgeable about what we're doing in there. Yeah. I would say, so, well, you got, man, just take just again, wearing all the different hats. So like, is that something you're looking like, I guess part of the process is you're kind of bringing your staff in, like knowing that they have a background of it or something, or are they comfortable doing it? Or like, do you already kind of have the program ready? And like, you just say, here, manage this. So it's something that we have built over time. Um, and each coach who has come in and replaced somebody else is I've given the authority and the autonomy um, to make changes. We'll discuss the changes. Um, I think one thing that's really important to me, and maybe it's something I didn't talk about before, but I let my coaches coach. I let my coaches do what, you know, I ask them to do. I don't look over their shoulders I try not to nitpick. I give them advice when I need to. I correct things when I need to. But I'm going to give them autonomy to do their job um, because I think too many guys are micromanaged as, as coaches. And for my guys to be fully prepared to leave our program and go into another one, I have to give them that freedom to have success and to have failure, just like our players. Um but when it comes to the weight room stuff, yeah, I, I try and see what kind of background before they even come in. Um, I'll also pay for them to get, you know, certified in strength conditioning if if they don't have one yet. Um, I've done that for a couple of different assistants where I'm happy to take the 300 bucks or so out of my, you know, fundraising or out of our foundation account to get a guy certified. Nice. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I was just uh, and will you guys take that all throughout the year? You're are you weightlifting all throughout the year? Yeah. So our guys have a plan, you know, year round. We have different phases lifting wise. Um, you know, we'll have an in season program, um, off season program. You know, that will vary between. Um, we believe more in movement over maxes type stuff. Um, we want guys being able to throw around the, you know a lot of weight, but a lot of weight quickly and safely. And so it's a matter of explosion and power. Um, kind of, we take some stuff from like the Zach Deccan school of weightlifting, the TCU strength conditioning guy. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things that depending on the time of the year depends on how heavy we're lifting or how, you know, we may go lower weight, higher reps. We may, you know, um, we may be going four days a week off season, three days a week in season, or even two days a week, depending on how tired guys are getting. Um, so we, we kind of adjust it throughout the year, but they're going to have a plan. If they're not with us, they have a plan in place, not just in the weight room. They have a plan in place for hitting, pitching, their entire development program they're going to have with them in black and white on paper to take with them for Christmas break, uh, for summer, everything. Um, and cause that's really important because, you know, even though we only lose them for three weeks at Christmas time, that's a really important three weeks. If they don't, if they go home and sit on the rear ends and do nothing, it's going to show come January. Cause 
we get two and a half weeks of practice. We we open up this Saturday, the 28th. I mean, it's it's not going to be easy. Um, so they got to go home and work. So we have to prepare them for what it takes. Wow. So you open up the 20, you open up the 28th next Saturday. Mm-hmm. But what? Oh, wow. So let me ask about the development plan. Development plan. I'll just wrap my head around it. You give them a development plan. So is this like an exit meeting in the fall? Like, is this like, okay, we've kind of seen yeah. where the fall's at. Like, here's what we're, here's kind of like some goals. Is it yeah. metrics or is it, you know, and is it like a toolbox of drills? And then here's what we want you to see you by the end of the year. Kind of all of the above. Okay. We're going to give them some metrics and some data um, based on exit velocity, based on certain things we're seeing mechanically, based on some of it maybe video breakdown they've done with our hitting guy. And uh, same thing on the mound, you know, velocity data, spin rate data, uh, mechanical data that we think they need to improve on. So we're basically going to do all of the above of what you just mentioned. We're going to provide them drill series. We're going to provide them their throwing program, their defensive regimen, their offensive regimen with what drills they specifically need to be doing to develop and get to where they want to be. Um, you know, and same thing for the pitchers. We're going to give them their recovery, their their active throwing and and bullpen series they're going to have everything detailed um to basically to the day they get back um they're going to know exactly what they need to do each and every day what days of the week you know basically the only thing that they figure out is what time of the day they want to do it um and so uh our assistant coaches work really hard on those and they get provided those you know from for Christmas break, holiday break. And then they also get it provided to them at the end of the year um, when they go home after the season's over until, because when we get back in August, it, we got to get ready and go because we can play 20 games in the fall. So we need, we need to get cranked up when our guys get back on campus in August, they're expected pitchers are expected to be able to throw in an inner squad that first weekend, if we want to, mm. uh, so it's just a matter of getting them prepared for whatever, you know, what's going to take. How do you manage that? I'm just thinking about like, man, and, and it's going to take us away from the developmental question, but like, like how guys like play in the summer, you know, mm -hmm. like managing stuff where you got to get them back to then play an inner squad, which essentially you're kind of building your team and saying like, you're kind of cutting down your team. Like, yeah. how are you like, yeah, I guess it's a feel of like, Hey, we kind of know where this kid's at. We know this kind of stuff or like, man, this kid's like, how are you managing all those things kind of where pitchers can be at to actually be able to throw and fall? Yeah. So incoming freshmen, I don't mess with them a whole lot. Obviously they have a plan throwing program that they are on in preparation plan. But if they, you know, the only time I step in is if they threw 75 innings for their high school, um, I may say, Hey, I don't really want you throwing a whole lot this summer or Hey, you know, but I try not to mess with the incoming freshmen a whole lot. I base what we do with pitchers strictly off of their workload in the spring. Okay. So if we have a freshman this year that throws 85, 90 innings, there's no shot. I want that kid throwing in the summer. I want that kid working really hard in the weight room. I want him resting his body, resting his arms some, and then getting him back in shape for August. I don't need him throwing against, you know, Joe Schmo in some random league as a college freshman. I need to get him prepared to showcase his abilities as a college sophomore that fall to other four-year schools. 
And so that's priority. And I explained that to these guys in the recruiting process. Now, if we have a freshman pitcher that threw 20 innings and, and we as a staff feel like, hey, that kid needs to go get some more innings, we're going to find somewhere for him to go get those innings that we're kind of prescribing. And once he hits that mark, then it's about kind of resetting and giving him the opportunity to get his body prepared for what we need him to do. Um, and, uh, you know, I think defensively and offensively uh, for hitters and position guys, it's a whole lot different, you know, just because they, they can play the whole summer without necessarily being just smoked by the end of it and still be ready to go for, for August 15th when we start up. But pitchers, we have to be very careful with. And one thing I will never do is overuse kids. I mean, we try and be very cautious of workload and different things like that. And I can't stop a kid if he says, Coach, I really want to go do this. At the end of the day, you know, I can't stop him from going and pitching somewhere or playing somewhere. But I'm going to give him the information that's factual about, hey, this is why I don't feel good about this, you know, and kind of lay it out there and say, hey, you need to be, you know, and if I got to shut that kid down for the fall because he threw too much over the summer, that's what we'll do. But that means he's missing out on the opportunities to showcase his ability to four-year schools on scout day. And when we go play George Mason, when we go play GW, and we go play Pro 5 Academy, all these different places that we try and go in the fall. Yeah, that's that's great. I think that's just great. It's such a, a real answer where I was just, that's what I was wondering, because like part of also college is like, I don't know, like, but being able to play in those college wooden bat leagues and things like that, like those are important. But like, yeah, I think it's just all management of innings and management of 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 your pitchers. It kind of it's all based off of what they had done uh, during that spring. Well, and and you have to look at it from our perspective. These kids are incoming freshmen in in outgoing fresh, you know, fresh ending the freshman year. Um, and then if our sophomores, I just communicate with the four year school that they're committed to. Um, you know, if they want us to place them, we'll place them. If they want to wait and see how the season goes, then I'll get them more involved. But we're not talking juniors and seniors in college who are potential draft picks right then. You know, now JUCO guys can get drafted after their first year, but we're not we're not in Florida. You know, we're not a Florida JUCO that's dealing with guys from Bandy and bounce backs from Kentucky and everywhere else. You know, so we're not worried about the draft as much. I'm worried about the development process because they're still going to have two years at their four-year school to go play those summers and make a name for themselves, you know, professionally, potentially. Hmm. Good. Yeah, that's great. I think it's just yeah, it's super smart. Oh, that's good. Oh, man. So, like, honestly, I've been thinking of a couple of things that you talked about. Just like, I think it's the reality of Juco. You you recruit all the time. Every every year is kind of different. Like you said, you you kind of touched base about like you could lose up to twenty guys a year, um, for a number of reasons, you know. Uh, but like, how how do you build your team? How do you build the uh, the the brotherhood, the chemistry? You know, being able to work as a unit when that changes every year. There's got to be things that you're doing either intent. Like you've talked about, like you going up and talking to kids in the line. Like, how do you bring those kids together? How do you bring those kids together each year to form that new brotherhood that create that new chemistry? It's not easy. Um, that's probably been one of the biggest challenges. Um, you know, last year, going into last season, I thought we had probably the best, talent, the most talented team in program history. 
Um, we were, we had a preseason all American. We had the preseason player of the year in the conference. We had high expectations. I mean, do you know, and I had very high expectations for us. And to be honest, we laid a big fat goose egg. Um, now we had a tough year at times. I mean, we lost, I think out of all of our losses, I think we figured out like 48% of them by were by one or two runs. Um, that's tough. You know, that, that, that plays on your mind a little bit after the first five or six times you lose by one run. Um, but we did not play well as a team. We had the most talent we've had, but we didn't have the best team. We didn't have the best family atmosphere. And so this year I made a concerted effort from the very beginning, from the first day we were out there to try and build that bond with the guys for the guys to build that bond with each other. And so I got some advice. I've got a buddy who's a former college coach, um, Robert Haggerty, Haggerty, um, who is now an army ranger. He felt, felt a calling from God to, to basically give up college baseball and, and go into the army and go into ranger school. And so Hags has been kind enough at times to send me some stuff, send me some, um, team building concepts and, and things. And so we put some of those, um, we would have leadership development meetings where I would go different leadership qualities where I may introduce some information, you know, some words of wisdom from a guy like coach John Wooden, who I've read multiple, I'm not a huge reader. I'm not going to pretend to be, but I have read, you know, uh, I think three of coach Wooden's books and, you know, and, and taken a lot from those. And so I've shared some of that information. Another thing I did this year, instead of me picking the captains, I had the team pick the captains at the end of the fall. So after they had seen from the beginning to the end of the fall, how their teammates had handled themselves, how they had led and or not led, I let them vote on captains. And it was the first time I had done that. Um, but I think it was the right way to do it because I wanted last year I picked captains and I don't think they did a good job, um, which in turn means I didn't do a good job because um, they're a reflection of the leadership they received from me. And, and so I've tried to improve my leadership qualities, um, but trying to teach these guys how important it is to come together. I mean, we talked about that in the dugout at the end of practice today. You know, we had some guys making some excuses about why they weren't having success, you know, in BP today whether it was the sun, whether it was the machine, whether it was whatever it was. And I said, guys, the team that comes together and makes the least amount of excuses is going to find the most reasons to win. And um, I believe that. And so, you know, you've got to be able to fight adversity, but you've got to be able to fight adversity together. If you, if you think you're going to fight adversity in this game as an individual, you're you're sadly mistaken and we had too many individuals trying to fight adversity last year and not enough guys doing it as a team and so we we tried to instill that early this year and i want to see how it goes obviously but we plan on doing it again next year uh very similarly if if this goes well this year nice i mean and then like because like you said, like you brought in some guys in the winter, you know, so guys went through the fall, and then you got a couple handful of guys, I'm sure a handful of guys in the winter. Just that's that's Juco. Um, I mean, it's like a handful of places, but Juco, it's very it's not out of the norm. You're gonna add a few guys in the winter. Um, you know, like so like getting them a like 
getting them accustomed to things? Like, how do you kind of jumpstart that? Yeah, you know, I think one, you got to be straight up in the recruiting process with those kids. Here's the expectations. This is where we're at. Um, and this is how I see you fitting in. And you can't BS the kid on it. You got to be straight up and real with them. Um, that's how it was with the kid from High Point. But you also have to vet the kid a little bit. You also have to make sure that you feel very comfortable with that kid coming in and joining your program mid-year because I've had those guys who I thought you know were really good players come in, but they weren't great people. Mm. And, and so – you you do you have to do some work some homework you have to I mean I spent quite a bit of time with the the two of the guys that came in we had two guys come in at the break this year which is less than I've had in the past but I wasn't going to just take anybody or everybody because sure. of what this last year I learned from mistakes I mean I would have gone to battle with the guys that we've got right you know had in the room at the end of the fall if I had to we found the two right guys that I felt could make a positive difference. And the other young man that we brought in from JMU, he had actually played this past summer with two of our players. And so I was able to get a really good feel um, for what that kid was going to be like. And I spent a lot of time talking to JMU's coaching staff about the kid. Um, You know, but I think it goes back to, you got to do your homework. If you're going to bring somebody in mid year that could potentially take somebody's job, um, you got to make sure it's for the right reasons and you got to make sure that he's the right kid, um, who's going to handle himself accordingly. Is he going to come in and take a job and be a jerk about it? Is he going to come in and take a job and be humble about the opportunity he's now getting? And that's kind of the difference I've seen this year with who we've brought in. Nice. And I, I love the whole, like you vetted them for being the right people, you know? Yeah. And like, it's that, like that, that part, this can't be overstated, you know, where like, it just, it just matters, you know, and typically you get a good person. Like you, I think you said, man, really early was like the byproduct will win. Like you'll win. Yeah. Mm. Cool, man. This is good. It was great. Um, just thinking of like, you know, as you go through this development process right now, like um, a, a, as much as you guys, can practice right mm. like you with juco you probably have to figure out when to not practice or like kind of to kind of take it back you know like when what it, what are the <laughs> what are some things like what do you like maybe how do you create that feel like you know where you can like oh, i could do all this stuff but then you just you got to put the brakes on yeah you know I played division three baseball in college. We had 16 practice days for the entire fall season, you know, when I was at Randolph Macon and, and I hope the division I've heard that they're considering making a change to that. I hope they do. Um, but we would, I mean, those days, those 16 days would be eight to 10 hour days. You know, if we were going to use one of those practice days, you better believe Coach Hedrick and, and Coach Jones and those guys, they were going to get the most out of those, those days. And so um, they were long, they were grueling, they were a grind. Um, so I think with what we can do and what I learned from that was I don't have to do that. Um, I think it's the biggest thing I took away is, is I have to give the guys one off day a week from team practice. And so we go out. 
and I don't need to practice for five and six hours. You know, yeah, if we have an inner squad day, sure, it's it's a longer day. But I would rather go out for two and a half, three hours and be competitive, bounce around, have high energy, have high focus and complete our tasks in an organized manner than try and push our guys to focus for five and six hours, knowing that I'm not going to get the most out of them. And so I think that is kind of where, um, where I had to balance it. You know, this past fall, I, I finally looked at our calendar and I said, you know, these guys don't get a single weekend between us working football and playing games and everything. They don't get a weekend to themselves. And this past year, I, this past fall, I gave the guys an entire weekend off. I said, from Friday to Sunday, boys, take the weekend. If you want to go visit a buddy at, at Tech or wherever, ECU, and go catch a football game, go do it. If you want to go home and see your family, go do it. You know, Because, again, we ask so much out of these guys on a daily basis, um, day in and day out. We get so much time with them. You do. You have to figure out – when to hit the gas and when to hit the brake a little bit. And that's even important in, in our season. I mean, I may give the guys an extra day off before we play a Tuesday midweek game. You know, we may, maybe we're off on Sunday for some reason. I may give them off Sunday and Monday um, and roll into Tuesday um, and play. You know, I may do that because we need the rest. The guys need to find a way to rest their bodies and their minds a little bit. Um, but when we get after it and when we step on the field, when we it's, it's time to practice, it's they know it's go time and they know it's it, it, they need to take it seriously, um, especially this time of year where we only get two and a half, three weeks before we open up. Um, so they knew they know what to expect. Mm. Yeah, still wild, man. You guys are starting here <laughs> last week of January. <laughs> still wild. You know, just. Here we go, Jugo, man. Just grab some keep... hot chocolate and head to the ballpark, baby. I'd say, all right. Yep, you get your oven, you get your oven mitts on, and you get your winter hats, and you bundle up, and it's a great day for some. Uh, man, you always love that. You know, it's a great day got for pop up communication when that freaking wind starts blowing. Got my brand new Mizuno dugout jacket sitting right next to me. Can't wait to wear this bad boy next this weekend. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Wow, man, shoot, man. We've been here almost an hour and a half. It's freaking wild. Um, just, just wrapping up, conclude, like, is there something maybe like that maybe is on your heart, on your mind? We haven't really touched. You just feel like you want to dive into, um, man, we've, we've, we have, we've hit on a lot. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is, you know, I want kids to find the right fit. I'd love for them to be the right fit with us all the time. Um, but I think in the recruiting process with how it's played out for so many guys across the country and with COVID and everything these these guys have been through, I think it's important to to reiterate to them how important it is to find the right fit. Not, not just because this school has baseball or this school offered me an opportunity. Go, go to school for getting an education and, and then worry about getting the best baseball opportunity um, because at some point – you know, and, and I steal this from from a good friend of mine, um, but baseball is going to quit you before you quit it. And that could be 10 years in the big leagues. That could be, you know, playing one season in college, whatever the case be. 
Um, but I really think there needs to be more of an emphasis in the recruiting process of, of guys getting the best information to help them and their families make the best decision. And I think I love the fact that JUCO, we were able to give our guys more time to figure out where they want to spend the bulk of their money financially to go to college. Because at the end of the day, when a kid leaves our program or any JUCO program, when they leave to go to that four-year school, that kid's degree is still going to say University of Virginia, you know, University of Maryland, Christopher Newport University, Virginia Wesleyan, wherever, Randolph-Macon College. It's still going to say that school. It's not going to say Camp Community. Oh, oh by the way, uh, it's not going to say Randolph-Macon College, asterisk. Oh, by the way, he went for to, to Paul D. Camp for two years. No, it's, it's just going to say Randolph-Macon. And I think that I love the fact that at JUCO, we give guys the opportunity to still figure some things out, but they financially can save some money while doing it. And that's a huge, huge aspect to what we try and do and provide our, our students um, and student athletes. And I think that's important for any JUCO, um, for any kids who are considering JUCO or may have never considered it, because there are too many misconceptions that JUCO baseball is for kids who got in trouble or bad grades or, you know, didn't, wasn't recruited at all. No, I have kids. We had more kids that we recruited this recruiting class with a three, five high school GPA and higher than I had with less. And so we go after really smart kids who are going to be successful in the classroom. And, and the reason is, is because they understand how important their academic career is when they leave us and while they're with us. And so Coach Rollins, appreciate you. Appreciate all the information. Love this to touch base on a handful of things. Love the also always the message of just let's get better people. And how he's kind of come across that where he uh, yeah, he might have brought those people in, but they were the best people. And understanding that start of the conversation where we get better people, winning's a byproduct of those things. The better people, and we're in the business of people, so let's create better ones. Just I love that. Love that. And how he put those things, um, how in depth was um, with his development model, as well as just being able to learn. You, know, you can hear the humbleness. You can hear how he's continuing to learn, trying to continue to make the, uh, different changes, and continues to figure out what's best for his team. Last year, there were you know the talent wasn't there. The talent was there, and now they had the focus in it so that now. You know, he's, he's taking more time in the team approach and make sure they're doing things as a team, um, building them more chemistry. I uh, just love that, you know, that those are real things. There are people making adjustments based off of their experiences. And I really enjoyed the conversation. And I couldn't agree, agree with him more about a few things about just being organized, um, being player first, being player first. That means, you know, we're going to spend gotta spend the extra money because um, we're going to put them in a bus. We're not, we're not, we're not going to put in a bus. We're not going to do vans. We're not going to drive them. We're going to give meals. We're going to find good places for them because we're going to play first. You know, and talk about a way that, you know, I might not be able to give you the, the scholarship money, but I'm going to invest that money and give it, give more than that into them in other ways. So just great, a great perspective of things. So Coach Rollins, I can't thank you enough, and thank you guys for supporting us, and thank you guys for holding on. 
Uh, if you need to reach out for anything, any other feedback, feel free to reach out to me at Coach Cobb, at Coach 3 Cobb. And you can email me at TreyTCobb at gmail.com. Happy to help out with anything I can. But Coach Ron, thank you for helping us get better. Until next week, keep getting better.